All right, I'm Scott Farber, along with that sick man on the other side of me. Okay. We're not going to even start it over. We're going to keep going. Because you're going to be coughing through the whole thing anyway. That's true, that's true. He is former New York Giant, a closet cowboy fan, <laughs> the NFL Player Association President of the Dallas-Fort Worth Chapter, host of the Extra Point on the GBC TV Network, host of this podcast with me, a Memphis living legend, Hopefully, is going to be the man of the year in Fort Worth. Proud to call my friend. He is Larry Mallory. Good to see you, Scott. I almost said Larry Montel Mallory. Oh, now you know. If, if, I, I saw that on a promotional piece on you. Did you? And I go, holy cow! I like that. Well, you know, I like the name, but I hide it so that you know, in case the police are looking for me. Oh so gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You know, we have little bits of so many things to talk about, but I've, I've got to ask you first, because I think this is really way out of hand now. Uh, we all went nuts because Bryce Harper, you know, yeah, he signed a $330 million contract to play baseball and everything. And now Mike Trout, they're saying, is going to sign a $430 million contract to stay in uh, Anaheim. Is that getting out of hand? I mean, how, how are teams going to be able to afford to be on the field? You know, the question really, that's a great question. And to add to that question would be how are they paying it now? Because that's, what is it, the 25-man roster on the baseball team and right. one guy, one guy gets this kind of money. I mean, you know, and, and in baseball especially, look, I played baseball. Yeah. You know, in, in people who keep all the stats, let's say he hits 40 home runs a year. What if 20 of them are when the score is 7-2 to two in the eighth inning? And it means nothing. How many, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. How I many do. of those home runs really were a game changer? He could go 0 for 4 and the team wins. He could go 5 for 5 the next day and the team loses yeah. because it's nine guys out there. Yeah. And, and one guy can make a difference in a couple of games, but in the 162 season, it is the team. It is the team. And, right? I, and I'm not putting Trout down because I'm, I'm a firm believer if you're a player, get whatever you can. And that's where I was going. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. absolutely. I'm with the players. Because get I the guarantee money. you there's not one player in any professional sport that makes more than an owner. More than a head coach. At the end of the day. Well, this guy's making more than the uh, the manager of the baseball team. Well, there's no manager that, making $35 million a year. Well, that's true. That's true. But I didn't think it was any college coach. You know, yeah. I thought that eleven million was a lot, and now that we found out what's been happening with the colleges, yeah, coach yeah. has been getting more than eleven million. So. Yeah, that's right. It's just on the side. It's just on the side, yeah. you know. But you're right. As a player and as an athlete, and you're an athlete. As a as a player and an athlete, we want the players to get whatever you can get. Absolutely. Okay. But but at what point do the owners go? We can't do this anymore. Well, when that, does it start to hurt the game? That's a perspective. I think that I think that. It, professional sport at some point in terms of salaries for their employees, there might become a grouped union at one at some point. Right. You got some guys that are playing a sport and they play sixteen games and it can affect them for the rest of their lives in terms of, you know, the, the trauma to their body. Right, right. You get another guy that's playing hundred and sixty two games and he gets forty <laughs> million plus dollars. Right. If you ask that football player which would you really prefer? Right. I guarantee you he'd go play baseball or, right, uh, right. or basketball because it was about the money. So we want them to get whatever we can get. From a baseball perspective, it is amazing to me how, how the sport 
it's not it's America's sport, it's one of America's sports, but we're now in such an aggressive mode. You know, they they have to up the game in some kind of way. They gotta make it more interesting. You know, because that hundred and sixty two games, not not a lot of people watch them. They wait until in basketball and baseball actually. Right, they right. wait until the the championships or, or the, the all star game the or the, the end of the season. Yeah. 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 yeah, but in terms of salaries, I don't know if I can you know, I, I I would have loved to make that to have made that much money, but I cannot, without a doubt, uh, push back on any athlete that makes any amount of oh, money. Oh no, 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 no! I'm glad. You know, yeah. if, if the athlete can get it, get it. Yeah. But at what point does it get to be disruptive to the game or to a team? I mean, uh, you know, you you know that there are going to be times when Bryce Harper or Machada or any of these guys who get the big free agent money, right. are going to, their teammates are going to go, I bailed your butt out of this game. You know, yeah. you, you know what I mean? There'll yeah. be a little bit of that because there's got to be some resentment for that kind of discrepancy in salaries. You know, I'm not, I, I, there is a big discrepancy in the salaries across the board in all sport, but I don't, I don't think there's a player-to-player issue as much it would be as it would be. I agree. Yeah. I'm talking about though at some point because because 430 million dollar contract is a it's starting to get to be. I, I don't know the word even. You How know. many baseball teams are there? I uh, can't. Thirty or thirty-two. Yeah. So so is it reasonable to think that there is a big number guy on each one of those thirty plus teams? At least one. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like football. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, quarterback is... But it's established in football. You have put it through my head. It's the quarterback. It is the quarterback. In baseball, it just happens to be the superstar. It could be the first baseman. He could be the center fielder. Which we think is even fairer. You you know know, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so even with the the salary dispensation and the work dispensation, 162 versus 16 or whatever, and basketball there's an 82 or whatever, you know, again, like you said, we want to make sure that the athletes make the money. But I think that the, I don't think it's the athlete's requirement to make the game interesting for the public and also to set the parameters. If they're paying those athletes that kind of money, the owners are making much, 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 much more. And they should be the one that's ensuring that the game is interesting and exciting and on and on to the public so that they continue to attract the type of funds. You know, we've talked about the fact that all the owners of all professional sports are kind of getting monopolistic. Right, right. When you get into right. that fraternity, uh, now it's just not the ownership of that team. You know, there's a lot of ancillary uh, investment opportunities that come along with that. Yeah. You know. So now, now I want to just switch gears completely. You know, and I was, uh, um, I want to talk a little bit about the CTE. Is that ever going to really affect Sports, because the reason I even pose that to you, um, uh, Danny Carcillo, a former uh, hockey player, um, is a big advocate now about CTE, and uh, he's done some work with uh, uh, your good friend Kimberly Archie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just reading up a little bit today. He got very involved with the CTE issue because of another former hockey player, uh, Steve Monador died at age 35, and they had found out he had severe CTE. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. 
And so I'm, you know, so I see it. So it's in hockey a little bit, and may, and may, you know, I don't know if they only played hockey or if they played other sports, but it's an issue that seems to be it's only going to grow. Is it going to affect? You know, we were thinking football, but is it going to affect sports in general? I mean, parents with allowing their kids what to do or whatnot, are they going to be wearing helmets in every sport? Well, I, I think it, it affects, you know, a broad base of sport. In fact, um, you know, I'm on the board of the mothers that have lost their high school sons. Right, right. And I, work, I, I, I um, participate on a board that works with cheerleaders. Right, right. And cheerleaders, cheerleaders. cheerleaders in high school are the second largest case of injury in high school sport is with cheerleaders. But injury, not CTE per se. Well, well broken spines. Oh my gosh! Handicap for life. Yeah, yeah. CTE. They're still alive, and CTEC can only be diagnosed after they're gone after yeah, death. Yeah. So fortunately, we still have the children here, the girls here with us. But uh, and and it's a proper subject in that just this past month, and I don't know the exact day, but they actually celebrated National Brain Injury Day mm-hmm. up in Washington D.C. Right. Right. Um, we had I had to go to the NFL convention, so right. it was right around eleventh through the fifteenth of March, obviously. Right. And um, Solomon Brannon, who played in the first Super Bowl, that mm-hmm. was the president of the Atlanta chapter, he went up with all of the sixteen mothers, and we hold they held a, like a trade show event right. in Congress and continued to talk about it. So, from a, a CT standpoint, you're right. We're seeing it now in a number of sports, and I think I shared with you. When I visited England, I really was impressed on how youth rugby in in the UK is promoting their sport. It's almost like our flag system. Right, right. They're promoting it to where we protect the brain and don't allow, in the early stages of a, of a child's life, the opportunity for that brain to bump up against the skull. And those are some of the bruises that they end up seeing you know, when they right. um, diagnose Well, CTE. sports is such a big part of every kid's life, basically. I, I know not every single child, but it is such a huge part of uh, uh, growing up. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, for me, Little League, you know, and, and all the other sports that you would just play in the park that weren't organized, which was every day. Mm-hmm. You, you know, um, uh, kids don't go to parks now. That's right, like no little did. leagues like we did. You know, yeah. I, I may have told you this, maybe we talked about it, but it was a funny story. When I was coaching baseball all, the, all those years, I would always have mothers come up to me and dads and, and, and uh, say, uh, okay, Scott, you know, were the kids, you know, because better then, you know, like mocking me than they are today. <laughs> and I'd always say, when I was growing up, we were much better. And how could you say that? I said, because your kid plays once a week because you pay somebody $75 to lob a ball to him and tell him good swing. You know, I said, when I was a kid, we'd go to the park at 8 in the morning, and at 5 in the afternoon when our dads would be whistling to come home for dinner, I said, so the worst kid on the team caught a pop-up. You know, now the three kids that could catch a pop-up go into the outfield. You You know, so, you know, because it was such a part of our life. It was our life. And it wasn't organized, but we were playing. Yeah. You know, every every single day. So, um... It's almost like now... We have parks and recreations departments. Right. But where are the parks and where are the... I mean, well, you know, you know, Larry, I used to have to go um, to get a practice field once a week. I'd have to go stand in line on a morning at like 7 a.m. 
and you know the line would be a hundred guys trying the, to get time in the park and depending on where I was standing on line I could see what time I was gonna get for my practice and you know if somebody could show up at that time I mean it's it's uh, it's really difficult now and yeah. that and that's the thing why everybody parents pay money for somebody to be coached yeah. once a week and I mean I don't think a kid at eight nine ten years old needs to be coached they need to be a kid playing you know, you know, that was reinforced twice for me recently. Once at the Super Bowl, right, where a lot of the interactive conversations were relating to uh, youth safety and sport. Right, right. And uh, there was a lot of conversations about just what you said earlier, how important sport is not, and how important sport is in young people's lives, not for the purpose of making a professional athlete. No. But for the purpose of understanding goal orientation and setting standards and achieving and those kinds social, of the social aspect exactly, of it, exactly. you, you know the uh, yeah. And, and so that 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 really that really was highlighted at the Super Bowl, which I liked, but I even liked it more at the NFL convention that I just left. Yeah, this was of all the conventions I've attended a number of them. This was the first one that. Some high-profile, active players stayed there. You know, when we had our, our interactive day, I was so impressed with how they articulated both former and active player conditions, how they talked about youth and safety and sport and what the next things that will be going on that they want to talk about on the upcoming CBA. I mean, I had Richard Sherman... Adam Vinatieri, Andrew Luck, uh, uh, Doug Baldwin. Mm -hmm. These young men impressed me so much in terms of what I think the future of sport will be. If it's in the hands of the active players that I, active player right, leadership right. that I saw, it's going to be in some pretty good hands. Yeah, They're going to yeah, be advocates yeah. for sports safety and 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 helping you. Well, you know, you just hope we could make it safer because you just want the kids out there playing. And boy, do we need some parks. We, that we, you don't have to, that you, you know, I, I mean, you know, just going back to that for a minute, not only when you reserve the park, that means the kids from the neighborhood that are out there playing, they have to get off. That's right. Because we reserve the park. I mean, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I couldn't wait when it was winter in Chicago because the fire department would come out and put up a board uh -huh. and then stand there with the hose, and we'd, we'd play hockey all winter. Wow. They would make a rink for us, and they did it at a lot of parks. I grew up right across the street from the playground. Yeah, me too. You know, and ended yeah. up becoming a park director. Uh, I would sit on the steps early waiting on my brother, older brother to come to get me at, yeah, at yeah. 7 in the morning getting ready to go. So right. It, it really, it, not only did it, does it help you, interactively with other people it helps you physically right oh of course you know you get yeah. in much better shape yeah, you know and, and you know i shared with you we we had a, there was a company that went into some of the elementary schools in jacksonville florida mm -hmm. and found that like 70 percent of the kids in elementary school if they hadn't been tested would have had a heart attack by 20 oh because of the food that's in the oh, neighborhoods yeah, yeah, and all yeah. those kinds of things oh. so you know Playgrounds and what you're talking about, youth sports and safety, that's so, so important. All right. Let me, let me uh, again, we're just doing a little hodgepodge yeah. today. Odell Beckman Jr. to Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. Good for the Giants? Good for Cleveland? 
you know, um, Odell Beckham Jr. is good. a dynamic personality. Right. He's yeah. pretty good, too. He's, he is very good. I mean, you don't get he, – he was the highest paid, second highest paid player yeah. on the Giants next to the quarterback. It's all about the money for Larry. There you go. Yeah. And, and now he's about to go to another team where I, I think his talent is unquestioned. I think that the next day – I hope that the next stage of his career in Cleveland – will be about his leadership. Because when people perform like he does, when you are, they say the difference in a professional and an amateur is consistency. Mm-hmm. And he's a consistent performer. And now he has a younger millennial kind of quarterback that can have an impact on him. So I, I'm really interested in seeing how this relationship could go because I believe that it could completely turn Odell's perspective Right, right. Around as it relates to older, you know, athletes. But now let me ask you too, though. Does it help him leaving New York because it's difficult to be in New York? You are under so much scrutiny there. Well, see, you are under scrutiny in New York, but you're also in one of the most opportunistic places in the world. You know, it, absolutely. Yeah. So, but, but I don't you know, know if people really want to leave New York. No, 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 I understand that, too. He might not have wanted to necessarily leave, Mm -hmm. and maybe he did, but I'm saying that is this a better place for him to be now? I mean, his opportunity, he's going to get his endorsements anyway, especially if things go well. Um, They don't have the things at night to do in Cleveland that they have in New York. Picking on Cleveland now, aren't you? Mr. New York Giants. Well, you know, we used to call... Cleveland, and we, I love Cleveland. I love the Browns and everything. I love Jim Brown, but yeah. we used to call him a mistake on the lake. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But when you leave, I mean, you know, New York City, to, to play a sport in New York City, New York City never really closes. There's always yeah, options yeah, of yeah, somewhere yeah, to yeah, go. Yeah, They roll the sidewalks probably up a little bit in, in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, there's, you know, I always say there's only one New York, Chicago, and L.A. for that type of Yeah, yeah. 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 And and that'll be the only effect. He has enough, in a capitalistic country, it's about capital. He has enough capital to create his own environments wherever he goes. And he will. He will. (laughs) That's right. You know, but I think think now, too, there's an opportunity to really, really excel on the football field. I think Cleveland is up and coming. And this will just help Baker Mayfield, I think, you know, uh, uh, be a better quarterback because he's got Odell, you know, catching everything with one hand. Now you, you know. and, and, and it's got you right on point. And that's why I think that if Odell comes with the same type of attitude, you know, aggressive <laughs> attitude on right. the sideline, now you got, you got a millennial and a young guy doing yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah. I'm thinking that he can mentor Baker. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. that he's been in the league long enough He's financially secure. He's overly talented. And people have a perspective of, of his right. blindness. Right. And so now, now he's about to go in an environment where I think he can, he's already capitalistically okay. Right. I think his leadership role will kick out and he'll be okay. All right. LeVon Bell ends that strange relationship and goes to the New York Jets. And I don't know if his contract was for any more money than he Ahead. Is that situation going to work out now for everybody? I, I know you're going to tell me Pittsburgh's going to have another Greyhound bus coming in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, you know. They had one when Le'Veon was gone last yeah, year. The yeah, young man did yeah. had a nice year. Yeah. Um, Le'Veon is a, obviously an excellent athlete. He made a decision that, honestly, he, he was able to uh, 
maintain and live up to. Right, he he right. didn't break down and the league didn't right. break down. And then he goes to New York. Yeah. There yeah. we are. New York City for me, you know, even as a not a superstar athlete, New York City, if you leverage it. Again, I'm going to stop you. Uh, You're a superstar athlete if you make it to the NFL. Well, that, that's right? true. That's true. Okay. And, and, and honestly, even the superstar athletes feel like they're in a more yeah, of a superstar yeah. if they're in Chicago, New York, or L.A. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's just those cities are alive, vibrant, and cap- and, and love their sports. And, that's and, true. and so they love their athletes. That's true. You know, true. Uh, type thing. All right. Um, Kyler Murray. We talked about him already in past shows and whatnot, but the draft is coming up. Is he going to go high or is he going to be moved down? Is, it, is his decision to give up baseball for football going to work out for him in this draft? You know, both both of us, I'll probably come over here and watch that with you. Come on. I, I, I'm confused about Kyler Murray. His father um, had a baseball career, right? Right. And, you know, you've heard our, if you just right. rewind this, you've heard right. our perspective right. on right. longevity in professional sport. Kyler is not a big kid, you know, he's right. not a big guy. And one of the things now, even Baker Mayfield is taller than Kyler, and there's a concern about him being able to get the ball over. Right. right. Well, at the beginning of this show, you were saying, you know, I wish I played baseball over football, you know, knowing everything now. So, so. In my my first perspective on that, Scott, I thought that his agent was waving him over the NFL to influence money. I've learned later that he had to give that money back. Or most of it back. Yeah, most of yeah, it back. Yeah. It was like four point six million he had to give back. He only lasted like four hundred thousand out of it. <laughs> what a shame. What a shame. You yeah, know, yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, I think that he should be a baseball player. I like to see, and if he doesn't, because he's a Heisman trophy winner, he is gonna go high. Yeah. He's not gonna make what he now, why, now, why didn't you try to play pro baseball? Um that's an answer. That's a family kind of story. I um, I was actually my scholarship was more for baseball than football, and uh, but I was playing. I was a quarterback in high school and a defensive player, but baseball was my better sport. I was one. Of the, I was in the St. Louis Cardinals camp when I was like 12, 13, mm-hmm. and they were mentoring me right, in the right. leagues. But it, it got to a point when I when uh, the scholarship offer came, they. Joe Gilliam was the quarterback at Tennessee State. And I'm a freshman coming out of high school, so I wanted to play. So I had to go to defense and play defensive back. Not knowing that if you play defense at Tennessee State, you have to work out all year. You can't go and play baseball. But if you played offense, like Kelly and some of my friends, they after football season, then they could go and play baseball. But I couldn't. So that got me away from why, baseball. Why defense can't play baseball, offense can. Because the defense worked out all year. The offense didn't have to work out all year? Why, why is that? Well. Because they went to play baseball. That's one, that's one reason I get. But, you know, our defense was pretty dominant. People didn't score on us. And a lot of a lot of the professional players that we had yeah. primarily came, a lot of them came off the now, defensive side. Now, what did you play in baseball? Um First base, third base, shortstop, second base, and pitcher. All at the same time? No, whatever they needed. Oh, they, okay. they would always put me on first starting off. Then I'd pitch sometimes. But then if anything happened to any of the other guys, they had another guy 
that was slower, they put on first, and they put me in the other position. Did you have a good move to first base? Uh, I thought I had a pretty good move. I played in a, a little league baseball uh, group that from like seven to 16. See, you know, one of the things that I taught the kids uh, was how to pick play runners off. We used yeah. to pick everybody off of first base. With a, how? What did you do? Well, what did you teach them? I, I taught the, I, you, know, you know, on certain levels things work. This uh-huh. is like when they were about 15. I taught them to, uh, uh, to do the same thing all the time where they just, you know, uh, uh, stand over the rubber and these kids are going to walk off the base and then you tow the rubber and then they're going to walk off a little bit further. So I just got them to get how the runners walk off the base and they change the routine where they do a count in their head because the kids do the same thing over and over getting off the base. And as soon as I had them walking off the base, I have them turn and fire. Uh-huh. So we would catch kid after kid after kid all the time. It was, okay. it was a lot of fun. And you couldn't see if their foot was on the rubber or not because you were, you were... Right. I had them straddling it yeah, you know, yeah, so, they could just, so they could throw it however they wanted to, you know. You know, so, you know, I, I taught him just to wing it and stuff. I had one, <laughs> had one kid, and his father was going nuts because his kid couldn't get it. Because I'd give a signal, and they would just start a count off of my signal because uh-huh. those kids would do the exact same routine off the base. And most of the time, the routine was to walk off while they're talking to the first base coach. Uh-huh. So this one kid uh, was just having so much trouble with the count and getting the timing down. His father was coming down screaming at me. And then while his father is rushing and screaming at me, the kid picked the guy off and he goes, oh, well, maybe you got a point. <laughs> you know. That's good. But, yeah. That's good. Uh, my, so. my, my mother, one time uh, we were in the summer, you know, we go back to Jackson. And, and for this particular, I was in the 11th grade and I had worked out the whole year. I was ready. Right. You know, and every year they gave out seven trophies, most home right. runs, highest right. batting everything. And this year I, I wanted all seven of them. And I come there, and I earned all seven of them. But my brother right, right. wouldn't give me all seven. He was the like the, the uh, general manager of the league. Uh-huh. He he only gave me six of the trophies. And because he wanted some other kids, until he gave another guy the other trophy, I got so mad. Yeah. I called my mother. I started crying. I cried for like two days because I had been practicing all year to get all seven yeah, of these yeah, trophies. Yeah. And I basically had led the league in every category. And then he ends up giving my trouble. We I talk about that tonight. And he's seventy four, and I'm sixty eight. So were, were were you a, a junk pitcher or a fastball guy? Oh, fastball guy. So you could have had a twelve fifteen year career in the major leagues, and you went to uh, the NFL. Yeah. Well, actually, I uh, um, you know didn't get a chance to play baseball, and then I ran for student government president, and all the football players. Um, Started to threaten everybody in the college campus and let them know if they didn't vote for me that they would that they would jump on them. Yeah. And so this is my senior year, and I was to be drafted by either the Cowboys or Green Bay. And uh, coach, and the coach called me in, calls me in his office and tells me I was trying to take over the team because the guys were threatening the students. Yeah. And uh, he pushed me, and I pushed him back. And so I ended up leaving the school. After that, because, you know, I tell you about 5, 10, and right, 10, right. I would have been rolling for the rest of my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I left the school, and and, uh, and that's when Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, and Warfield announced they were leaving the Dolphins going to Memphis. And I 
out of uh, 1,700 guys, we had about six guys that made it as free agents. So that started the career. Well, in everybody's life, it's that sliding doors effect, That's true. isn't it? That's you know, true. You know, getting on the bus in the morning or missing the bus, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You know, you know. All right, I'm going to tell you one quick story okay. uh, of my coaching again, and then, and then we're off of this silly stuff. <laughs> this one always makes me laugh. <clears throat> so the kids always said, Scott, you play ball. You know, you always brag about this and that. And that. You know, why don't you take batting practice? So I had one of the kids pitch to me batting practice, and, you know, you know, I coach them, I hit the balls to them, but go swing a baseball bat at a thrown ball, you know. So I'm up there and starting to hit a couple and feeling good. Well, then I nailed one. Okay. And that feeling came back, you know, when you just hit it and you, you just feel that little ping. And uh-huh. I go, man, this is bringing back memories. This was great. And that ball flew over the dead center field wall, 272 feet. The kids, the parents, everybody was so impressed, and I was so thrilled, and I'm going, that's as long and as hard and as far as I'm ever going to be able to hit a baseball now at this point in my life. And then 30 seconds later, I went into a state of depression like you can't believe because I'm going, that is now as long and as far as I'm going to hit a baseball in my life. It just made it over 272. I said, when I was playing baseball... Center fielder has come flying in to catch that little pop up. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So I put it in perspective, right. and then yeah. I went through a depression and realized, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, everybody was impressed, and I'm crying. Look what happened to me. All right, the Masters are lurking. Has Tiger got a chance? Well, you know, I, I uh, I'm a Tiger fan. Me too. And I, I uh, what was it? The last tournament was the Arnold Palmer. Well, he, he missed that one because yeah. he was hurt. He played this past week in the players. In the players, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, the players, yeah. yeah. I, I like how he's uh, he's playing. I just think that you know it's just much more competition yeah, than it was yeah. in the past. And then you got the the changes in the equipment. Um, you know that has five foot six guys hitting at three hundred and twenty yards. But I just think the difference is he's older. Well, yeah, you know, um, he's forty three years old. Yeah, but what other sport has a senior tour? Well, I know, but uh, well, that's because golf you could play forever. That's right. I mean, I'm going to be your caddy when there you're we... playing in England. That's right. You know, and I want ten percent. Period. That's right. I you mean, know. right now Bernard Longer is running the senior tour over here, winning more than he won when he was. Right. You know, oh, all those guys. Some of those guys that were just tour players that maybe won one or two in their career yeah. are cleaning up. You know, but, and, they're, and they're making more money on the senior tour, which isn't paid a lot compared right. to the uh, the uh, main tour now. Right. But when they were playing on the main tour, it was very little. When you talk about adjustments in sports like we were talking about in right. baseball, you're seeing now the same impact in golf that you saw from basketball to football. Football coaches started looking for uh, centers and forwards for defensive ends. Right. Or, you know... Uh, uh, oversized forwards for tight ends, that kind of thing. You get kid, when you get start getting guys like John Rahm and and all these big boys yeah, that's yeah. that's uh, that's hitting it a mile. And and the equipment equalization is important because Rory McIlroy, what is five eight, five nine? He's yeah. also hitting at three twenty. You know, three twenty. I've seen him hit him four hundred. There we go. See, so for for me, for me, the evolution of golf has come almost, I think, quicker than a lot of sports. Yeah, yeah. Because the guys now that are coming in, there might even be a, a mid-tour, 
like from right. 40 to 60, you know, yeah. something like yeah. that. Cause, oh, man, would Mickelson clean up on that? And Tiger. And Tiger, yeah. 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 But, but what, Scott, what do you think about this, though? Because we had a conversation about the, the playing fields of all sports. Right. We, we talked a little bit about coming from grass to right. turf. Right. With the distance that these kids are hitting this golf ball, you know, when Tiger started that distance thing, they start to move traps out a right, little longer, right, or move right. tee boxes. Is it going to be enough land? Well, I still for... think they can adjust the course to control some of those scores. I really do. I mm. mean, uh, um, and the easiest way for them to control the scores is the traps around the greens and the greens themselves. True. That's very well said. I, I mean, when somebody makes a putt and you see the ball doing this. Yeah, it, that's true. That's you true. know, uh, um, all right, I got um, two quick, two last things because they're telling us it's time for us to get out of here. <laughs> okay. We've got the March Madness coming up. It starts, you know, from when we're taping, it starts in a day from when we're taping uh, this podcast. It amazes me how interested people get in college basketball for these two or three weeks of March Madness. But during the year, who's following outside of Peoria, Illinois, Bradley? Yeah, but true. in March Madness, you know, how, how did this become such a big dominant thing? I mean, it consumes everybody in the brackets and, you know. Well, I, I don't know how, how it became dominant, but that explanation was right on point. Because you're looking at one, yeah. you know. This is me also. Yeah, you know. That, I think it's the the football basketball overlap. You know, you end the football season. Ah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. you end the football season. Basketball has already gotten started, and this is right at the time before all the playoffs. Exactly. Then the Super Bowl comes, so you're right. still locked in on right, that. Right. You know, now you're about halfway through. The first thing I think that kicks you in on basketball would be the All-Star game. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, we're not even in college. This is still pros. College doesn't even have an All-Star game. So right. we're disconnected with the NCAA until unless there's some dominant team, you know, that's something in O and the press is about it. The only time, the only other time that you draw some type of interest is when it comes to the playoff time. I think it's a conspiracy from the wing places and beer places. <laughs> That's a good I mean, point. it's it's unbelievable to me how, and, and people that have no clue about sports in general mm -hmm. are handing me their brackets. Right. You, you know, right, it's amazing. Right, right. And I got to be filling out my brackets for all the little silly things that, uh, that you're going to be in. But what is it? Uh, there's that million dollar bracket, or ESPN used to have. Maybe they still have it, mm -hmm. and nobody ever gets past like the second day, you know, before you know, they're all eliminated. You've always been able to ask stimulating questions <laughs> to uh, enhance the brains. I'm of annoying, CTE is what you're saying. Like, no, what you just brought up hit me. It was. It's like in America, in a capitalistic environment. Everything has a season. Right, right. You follow me? Yeah. And no no one sport, no one product, no one advertising, nothing controls the entire. So, the, you know, I was in sales a lot. So that's why we have the graphs of when the highest sales volume is. Right. When you can focus right, right. your. And it's the same in sport. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but I've never looked at it until you just yeah, yeah. brought it up like that. You know, you roll out of one into another, each one of the sports, their 
the ending of that sport is a championship. Right, right. So you get right, your money, you right. know. And the more that you can uh, keep the interest of the paying public over a season, the better your environment is. And that shows with baseball because now baseball is attempting to draw some more excitement into the 100-plus games. Right, right. You know, even basketball in the early days. Yeah, yeah. But football, because it's only a few games. Right. And there's a lot of injury and hitting and stuff. That really keeps people's attention, doesn't it? Hey, let me tell you something. I'll never forget this. The World Series, the Texas Rangers, going to their very first World Series. And I'm driving in my car, and I got sports radio on. And a local Dallas station, two hours before the first pitch of the World Series, what were they talking about? Tony Romo. <laughs> I knew it was something related to football. I just couldn't get the test. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it just blew me away. Wow. All right, final thing. I just want your opinion of this, your thoughts on this. And this just came to me out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking this weekend at a, at a high school on World War II. So to put my speech together, I was looking through our, the GBCTV.net website. An absolutely looking, fantastic website. Yes, and I'm looking through some of the uh, stories of the guys we've interviewed over the years that were in World War II. And one of them, uh, and, and I love this guy, Charles Alford is his name, and I hope he's still around. But Charles uh, came to the interview in his 90s and still had his uniform on from World wow. War II, still fit him. I mean, I love it when they would do that. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, and he was a liberator. And I had asked him in that interview, you know, from his experience, what is it that he took home with him? You know, what did he think about and everything? And what he said to me really blew me away. He said to me how gullible the German people were to let Hitler do what he did. That was his takeaway from World War II. How gullible the people were to the, allow... The German people were to allow Hitler to do what he did. Interesting. thought it was pretty apropos. Mm. You know, just something to think about, man. Well, well, you know I got a comment on it. Well, that's what and, I was wondering. And uh, Now, he said that to me five years ago. I'm trying to, put, I'm trying to say it in a way in which... Uh, I don't think we need to say anything. Well... To me, the, the power of that statement is the power of citizenry. Right. Um, I was driving over here. Right now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm dealing with some tax issues. Mm -hmm. And I was driving over. and I'm Like you're the only one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was listening to, you know, the number one person, person number one in our country is dealing with tax issues, too. Right. And I wondered if I could do the same thing that he could do. And what it, what it brought to mind was how important how important a citizen's voice is. Right. And that's, to me, is what that statement is about. Well, it just, it just blew me away what he said, but how yeah. it applies to us today. Yeah. You, you, know, yeah. Um, um, you know, Battle of the Bulge, a liberator, and his experiences were vast, what he saw and everything. Yeah. And his takeaway was how gullible the German people were to let Hitler get away with what he did. You know, and I just think it has... Meaning today, however anybody wants to think about it. Yeah. All right, man. I'll see good you next see time. All right. <laughs> Be good. Take care. All right. Be good. Take care. All right. Be good. Take care. All right. Be good.